We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers split two games this weekend. On Friday, they had a comeback win against the Orlando Magic. And then yesterday, a comeback loss. They they nearly they certainly made it interesting at the end, but they fell to the Miami Heat. And we also got news that AD's return is imminent. We're going to do a whole pot on that tomorrow. That's a whole topic in and of itself. Today's show is going to be a bit of a precursor to that. Prior to the Orlando game, Frank Vogel said that they were looking to establish lineup continuity with AD's return coming up. The way that I took that comment was that Vogel's trying to slot everyone into their shifts that they'll be playing once AD gets back, with Dwight holding down AD's spot in the starting lineup. Now, you can't do that perfectly, obviously, because AD's a 35-minute-per-game player and Dwight isn't, but I think Vogel's trying to come as close as possible to If you're a role player and you normally come in with three minutes left in the first quarter and come out of the game at six minutes left in the second quarter, getting you into that shift and slotting you appropriately where you're going to be playing going down the line. Now, but in the meantime, before AD comes back, and this is described this weekend, that means that we have a starting lineup of Russ, Avery Bradley, LeBron, Ariza, and Dwight. And there's a lot to talk about if that's the case. Mike, you're joining us from the road trip with the team. Did you take that comment and just kind of what we've seen? Did you take that the same way as I did, as, as Frank's kind of using placeholders in the starting lineup for AD especially to, to come back? And that we're looking at a starting lineup of, you know, going forward of Russ, Avery Bradley, LeBron, Ariza, and Anthony Davis. That's what it seems like, Pete. I And I think the the crux of all of this, once, once AD does get back and – uh, if you, as you mentioned, we're going to spend more time on him. Uh, but just briefly, he did look really good in the two-on-two uh, that I saw him play before the game, like going full speed. So it, you know, he really does seem close. That the question then remains for me, you know, the Ariza one. And Frank got asked that after the game, and it was sort of, hey, the implication. I think Dan Wojcik asked the question, and all of us have asked Ariza questions at some point for the last couple of weeks. Is are you trying to kind of 
let him find his rhythm, right, by in seeing if he can get there after missing all of this time. And 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 basically Frank's answer was like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, we this is what we want to make sure that we can give him the time to really show what he can do. And then in the meantime, obviously, Trevor hasn't played his best basketball and is struggling some on both ends of the court. And so obviously AD is coming back and starting. You know that LeBron and Russ are going to be there. It does seem that Bradley has cemented that spot. But you have Stanley Johnson, for example, you know, just playing better uh, and being more impactful on both ends. So what does that look like in Darius where, you know, what is the point where Frank decides like, all right, you know, this it, what like where where is that line? Right. Of we we really want to see if we can get Ariza to a certain place versus, you know, this is costing us in terms of wins and losses at the moment. Well, let's get right to it. Uh, Trevor Ariza. Yeah, I thought this was going to be the second segment. <laughs> no, but so I'm going to put the Ariza question on on hold just just for one minute because I did want to also chime in on Pete's question to you, Mike, about the interpretation of Vogel. And this is something that we've been talking about behind the scenes a little bit for a while, like us three, right? And this idea of of trying to put players into the roles in which you see them for the long term and what that what the benefits are of that why coaches do that in general and what are the costs of that as well and i did interpret it the same way that that you did Pete that it's just like, hey, we're waiting for AD to come back. AD is going to be our starting center. I think even before the Orlando game, Mike, he had mentioned that our plan is still to have Anthony Davis and LeBron James be our primary centers once AD gets back. And that sort of flies in the face of Dwight Howard starting at center, right? Because if LeBron is going to be one of your primary centers, then why isn't he starting the game there if your other primary center isn't there? And I think that this speaks to this exact point that you're making. It's because LeBron James isn't your primary center. He's your secondary primary center. And so slotting him in to the top spot doesn't make sense within the context of your long-term planning for lineup management. Yeah, that's basically what this is, is a long-term versus short-term question. Yes, I think that chimes back into Ariza a little bit. So now let's touch on Trevor some because he actually is really a segment and a half at this point rather than just a short segment because this part does matter. What they envision for Trevor long-term, I think, goes back to the idea of him when he was signed. And as this versatile forward that could slot in between LeBron James and whoever is starting at center and basically say this game you've got a big man to defend this game you've got a wing well to defend we trust you to do either and then on the other end of the court we trust you to be sort of this connective player, like a finisher as a spot-up three-point shooter, a ball mover when the shot isn't there, someone who could potentially attack a closeout, and just make the simple play that is in front of you without taking things off of the table. That is the idea of any role player I think that you'd want 
next to LeBron and AD is don't take stuff off off of the table. And the stuff that you put on is useful stuff, but it doesn't even need to be that you're doing that at an elite level where you would be like a 15 or 20 million dollar per year player or something like that, a.k.a. like Mikel Bridges, I think is like the idealized version of that if uh, you're looking for a player comp like that around the league. And so in seeing Ariza struggle right now, I think everyone probably understood there was going to be a runway that was needed for him. I think that that was envisioned even in the preseason, Pete, that he didn't really play as much as most other guys in the last season and and a half. We we talked about it a lot when he was signed, but he didn't go to the bubble when he was on the Portland team. He got traded during that offseason to OKC. And then he got put on the shelf by OKC because he was not going to play for them at all. And then he went to the Heat and he only played basically a half a season for the Heat. And that idea of over that compressed season, he had maybe played three quarters of a real season over a full two seasons. That's not a lot of basketball in that time. Yeah, he was going to need time to get up to speed. And then he misses all that time with an ankle issue and he came back. And then he got COVID, right? And now he's back from that. And he's been back basically all of this month. And he has not looked good. Against the Heat, it was his fourth game of the month in which he had scored zero points. And in all of those games, he's he's played at least 15 minutes, I believe. And Ariza, you're not looking at Ariza to be a double-figure point scorer or, or whatever, but... He went 0 for 5 against the Heat. He missed all of his threes. I would say four of those were open. He passed up other open threes. And in the process of passing those up, he was trying to make plays off of the dribble a little bit. And he committed four turnovers. And so we should probably kick at the break here because I've been talking a long time. But this idea of what you want from Ariza long term versus what he's actually providing you in the short term, there's a chasm there right now and I'm interested in sort of getting into it a little bit more as to like what that means for the Lakers and can they wait on him and and that's a question that that I would pose to, to you Pete so maybe we could get to that like right after the break we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So that chasm between who Trevor Ariza is as a player right now and what we envision him being is... <laughs> I, I see what, what we were going for with signing Trevor. We need a Trevor Ariza type of player. First of all, when this season's done, I'm going to memory hold this season in terms of Trevor Ariza. Because 2009 Trevor Ariza is one of my favorite Laker role players of all time. And I don't want to remember him like this. We've had a couple guys that have come back. Like, I don't know if you remember when Vlade came back right toward the end of his career. I think it was his last year. He played like five games that season. It was rough, man. It happens sometimes. He was a second round pick in 2004, 2005. I think it was 2005. He was a second round pick like nearly 20 years ago. So he's not like LeBron, right? LeBron's a one of a kind. He was in the same draft as Dwight. Pete, okay, to put it in was 2004, right? And, and so I want to say him and Dwight are the same year, and Melo and LeBron are the same year, which was a year before Dwight. So it was like literally they've got four dudes who right. came into the league half their life ago, right? And LeBron and Dwight were number one overall picks, right? Like they're freaks of nature athletically in terms of their gifts. So even, but even Dwight, like Dwight now compared to prime Dwight, there's such a vast difference. Point being is that like this happens. So if that's happening to a number one overall pick, a guy who was taken in the second round, like Reese has done a lot of running in his career. I, I want to kind of pick apart like the, his game a little bit of like what I think will come back. Like he's not this bad, but I think that there's still a chasm between what he can be and what we need him to be. Now, as a shooter, he's he's a mid-30s type of guy and, and has been in the past. But this is the player that he's been for the last couple of years in terms of, you said attacking closeouts, he can't do that anymore. As soon as he puts the first dribble, watch where his eyes go. As soon as he makes that first dribble, he's looking like, please, someone take this out of my hands. Because he knows he's not getting all the way to the basket without a help defender coming by. In his first game back, I think it was against Phoenix, um, there was a give and go with Russ where he attacked the closeout and like no one rotated over. But because he was not looking at the basket, like he could have just taken two more dribbles. It was one of those plays where Phoenix had conceded the basket, basically. But he wasn't looking. And so it speaks to this lack of aggression and so long term like he's going to be able to knock down open shots but you're going to be able to pull and we've seen this in these early in in these games especially alongside Dwight where the combination of them is so slow uh you're going to be able to pull attention off of those guys onto the guys that you need to put attention onto which are LeBron and Russ and so we see that at the beginning. We see the beginning of the games, Mike. We're talking about a reason. We're talking about the lineups. That game was like 19 to 9, my, the Miami game, when Stanley Johnson came in for Dwight. Ariza stayed in the game then, but that game, you know, we talk about starters in terms of people, but it's also like you set a mood for the game. And that game, like before you blink, you even did a sideline hit coming back from a break where you said something to this, this effect, where like you blinked and the game was this 12, 15 point game that kind of sets the mood for the rest of the game. And that matters too. And so like the lineups and Ariza and what he's capable of at this point, these things all tie together. We can't go down 10 as often as we do to start the game. Yeah. I think you're almost in a way 
if you can if you put somebody else into that starting lineup, it, it doesn't mean that you can't still give Ariza some games and still give him mm-hmm. some time, you know, to find his legs some and, and whether that's in playing X amount of minutes per game and then still practicing more and that's fine. But it's just like the the sample size seems to be enough now where you know where the lineup data is showing that that group is just really struggling. And putting AD in for Dwight is going to help. There's no doubt, especially when I think what we've seen is Dwight, when you're having to, asking him to play every night, I think that's harder than having him get a, a little bit of rest here and there. Like almost every vet that's that age, including Melo, except for LeBron. It's a great James. point. Now, mm-hmm. LeBron, actually, I take that back. LeBron would benefit from playing less like that probably, but he's so awesome that it's fine. <laughs> he's still, you know, he's still LeBron. Yeah, yeah he, he way, still so. feels the effect of it. If he could play 32 minutes and not, you know, do all this, that would definitely be better. Right, yeah. for sure. So I that, that to me remains the question. And I, I think that the last time that there was a discussion like this, or it reminds me a little bit of when we were all talking about Rondo two years ago. And I think that the, the conclusion was pretty clear from everybody around the team. Like, well, he's really struggling. Look at all the lineup data. Look at what happens when Rondo plays. And, and Frank stuck by him. And by the time the bubble came around, Rondo was great, like based on what the expectation should have been. And he really helped them win. And so I do think that Frank does, and it's paid off for him in the past, but tend to stick by guys and really give them rope. It's just that that team was in first place for the whole season. And that team had a lot of room underneath them. And I just thinking where the Lakers are in terms of the standings, it might be trickier. To yeah, we got take, we have, sh- re- we have yeah. short-term problems that, that that team didn't have. Right. So take Ariza out of it, but just any anything that's not working consistently over the course of a little bit of time, it's tough to stick with in this time when when wins and losses are so important or at least more important than they should be at this point of the season, were the Lakers to have been healthy up to this point. And that's why I'm curious to see what happens and how much longer we we see that that type of that type of involvement in the rotation uh, if the if the play continues to be as it's been so i was looking up lineup data last night so one of the first things i always do after a win is look at the lineup data one of the first things i do after the lakers lose is i look at the lineup data i look at the lineup data a lot just because Darius, what do you look at more, the lineup data or the trade machine? Because I know you got both those up in the in the browser. I think the lineup data these days are sending him to the trade machine. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just ask the same question? Okay. Yes, Mike. The answer to your question is yes. Um, and, where, and where's the when? Where's the displeasure scale when you're when you're doing this stuff? Like when you're are. You, is it low because you're, there's some optimism baked in because you're like looking for good lineups and you're finding some fun trades that you like. So you're not, you know, so you're not like high in the scale. Okay. No, it definitely does. It, it definitely oscillates. And, and, and so last night I sent you guys an all caps text, which indicates that the displeasure scale is rising. It's elevated. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and, and so the funny thing, when you look at the lineup data for the Lakers, first of all, the numbers are still incredibly low. The most frequently used lineup still has not even played 75 minutes together. 75 minutes. That's not even two complete NBA basketball games worth of data for a single lineup 
over Can the I course jump? of 45 games or 46 games. Please jump Just in. with with a crazy another crazy stat. You know how many games that LeBron, AD, and Russ have played together without a second big or Kent Bazemore in, in the starting lineup? Six. Mike? Sorry. Yeah, I was in the trade machine, Pete, so I didn't hear your question. <laughs> Stop trading our coworkers, Mike. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was serious. Yeah, no, how many would you guess uh, Russ, LeBron, and AD have played together without a second big or Kent Bazemore in the starting lineup? Well, it's considering we've talked about this a lot, I think it – yeah, I do think it's like five or six. It's four. It's yeah. four. Okay. Only six yeah. without DJ and then the other two had Bays in it. So, right. There so, you to your point uh, – sorry for, for derailing that. But to your point, there's just like so little of like what it's supposed to be or or even a reasonable facsimile of it. Well, I'm just saying that it's just like we could get into the learning of things again, right? But I don't want to have that conversation again. Like that's both a reflection of the injuries – and of the fact that it's just like how much the injuries impacted some of the decision making. But the current starting lineup, because you guys were talking about, hey, you know, it's hard to start the game down, right? And it's funny because this starting lineup has now started four consecutive games. And the Lakers are two and two in those games. And the first shift that this group played looked actually pretty good. And it was just like, hey, look at these guys, the responsible adults group, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Like they're sort of doing things and they look connected defensively and they're playing in drop coverages and they know what they're doing. Like the back end rotations look sharp and there it is. The slight amendment to this, Darius, is that in the second half against Orlando, they went small and they were down eight at halftime and they came back, started switching everything right with LeBron at the five. So you know, yes. So it one of those wins, immediate yeah. 16 to two run. But the first shift that this group played, though, way back when several games ago, they looked good. The second shift, they looked less good. But I, th- I think they were a little bit of a negative. And then they played two more shifts that game. And both those shifts were not good shifts at all. And over the course of these four games, they've maybe played two, two and a half good shifts out of maybe 10 shifts that they've played together as as a group. This group is now the fourth most used lineup that the Lakers have played all season. They have played 43 minutes together. They have an offensive rating of 96.6. An offensive rating of 96.6. And their net rating is minus 15.9. So you can do the math on what their defensive rating is. So they are neither a good offensive group nor a good defensive group. And these are the costs. I don't want to put this on Ariza, but Ariza plays a critical position for this team. Whether you play big or whether you play small, when your best players are LeBron James, Anthony Davis, who has not yet played with this group, Right. And Russell Westbrook, the swing forward. Yep. Is a super important position. Yep. It's actually You've been talking cru- about this since the preseason. Yes. It's actually a crucial position. And it's why the idea of Ariza and why we promoted him, even within the context of our conversations here on this podcast, and why we sort of held up this idea of Ariza as important. The, mm-hmm. Because we had not seen him. We had not seen him. Right. 
to mm-hmm. that point. We held him up as important as I cannot wait to see what this team looks like when Ariza gets back. Well, and that that came from the coaching staff, though, well, right? Like, well, also, too, I, even from us, though, Pete, we were I don't want to say that we were we were like optimistic and like, oh, Trevor Ariza, he's well, going to be a world. No, world beater. we, we need a forward. We, we need a forward. But the Lakers needed a forward. They so it's a difference some, between the idea of him and the actual player of him. That's where the gap is. Yes. And that's what we've seen since his mm-hmm. return, particularly since his return from COVID. Again, since January, he has played in 10 games. He is averaging under three points a game and about three rebounds. I think 3.2 or 3.4 rebounds a game. He is a sub 30% shooter on field goals and on three-point field goals. And his shot quality on his threes especially is fairly good. And so, like you said, Pete, Ariza will not be this bad forever. If he is, he won't be in the league next season. He might not be in the league anyway. But in the short term, the short-term goals of what this team needs right now, Ariza's not providing it. And it's an open question then as to how long how long the coaching staff will stick with him. The, the public answer where Frank's getting asked a question about Trevor Ariza in the postgame, I don't expect Frank to answer that question in any way but the way that he answered that question. Right. Which is like we're giving him some time. We like we believe in him. He's going to come around. That is the public answer. Public answers and private answers often differ in any organization. They just do. And I'll be I'm very interested in in knowing whether or not the private answer is the same as the public answer, because. The coaches understand they watch the tape. They see what's going on. And Trevor is passing up open shots to dribble into worse possessions. And he did it in the first half of the Orlando game. And he's done it pretty much for the last four or five games where he's had good looks. And he's passing up those shots because he's not making them. And on top of that, he doesn't necessarily have the legs. And so when you don't have the legs, you are anticipating things. You're trying to play faster in your head. Right. You got to get there mentally a moment quicker because your body can't do that. Because your body can't do it. And so he is anticipating a closeout that is not coming. And so he is ball faking and driving in to things that aren't actually plays that you drive into. The way that he needs to play is more like Carmelo Anthony, which is like ball hand, balls out. Right. And and. The ball is out of Carmelo Anthony's hands pretty much almost instantly. He sees it coming. He knows I'm getting this shot off. And then guys are attacking his closeout hard. And then he's dribbling into a one possession pull up. Now, Carmelo Anthony and Trevor Ariza, they are not the same type of offensive player. Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer and yada, yada, yada. But what I'm talking about in terms of that decision making needs to be ball is the ball is in my hands. I am open. I'm shooting that shot. And Trevor's not. And he's not because it's not going in, but the cascading effect of how he's treating these possessions are damaging. They are damaging to the team right now. And so let's take a break here because that forward rotation, I want to get into it a little bit more because it's impacting both the offense and the defense. And I think we have a Carmelo Anthony question as well with in regards to what the team is supposed to look like defensively when he's in the game. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If I could give my final thoughts on Ariza, just a, an observation from the rewatch of that game, it was telling to me, we talked about you know his offensive game for the most part up until this point, but it was telling to me that Miami actually targeted him. One thing that I don't think people realize that I'm going to try to help with this over the next couple of years is the degree to which offensive game planning is like, is targeting uh, an opponent targeting someone on the floor. We think about our system and the plays that we run when it's really like, okay, who's the worst defender or what is he bad at versus what we have? Let's just spam that. And so it's it's a lot of that. And so Miami targeting Ariza to me is a, a testimony to the degree to which he can't move very well anymore. And that's where they the type of positions they put him in. They put him in you know, even on help side. And so it's not always like targeting isn't always give his man the ball. And now we're going one on one on one. Russ, for example, gets targeted when he's in the low man position because he's going to make that read a split second later than a really good low man player will. And you're going to get opportunities around the basket as a result of that. So they were targeting Ariza in that way. And so what does it say when Ariza played for them last year? And Ariza, theoretically, when we talk about the long-term plan of this team, Ariza is supposed to be our defensive wing, our big big defensive wing that takes on matchups that LeBron and AD don't – so that they don't have to. But that's the role that they're supposed to fill. And it gets me to this place – I feel like so much of this season and figuring out what we are has been a battle between what we wish we were and what we actually are. And so – Going to so and and Ariza, as we get this clearer picture of what the rotation is supposed to be, to me, a guy who's moving who moves like Ariza, who gets targeted intentionally by his former team, the guy that they saw him every day, that guy starting and being the idea of our three and D wing, like we have to. See what our, especially when we kind of got this manna from heaven and Stanley Johnson dropped out of nowhere, you know? And there's, for me, Mike, there's such a clear alternative, right? Like earlier in the, earlier in the year, it was like, well, what else are we going to do? Who, who else are we going to play? There is that swing forward that you're talking about, Darius. He's on the roster. It's weird. He's a 10 day guy. There's the reasons why he fits as well as he does. But in terms of like, I keep thinking, like, trust your eyes. What do you see? What do you actually see that's actually happening? And there's such a gap. I have a hard time, Mike, envisioning Ariza getting to that level of helpfulness, even though I expect he's not going to shoot like this the whole time. I, the One of the truths about this team to me are you either have to be able you, – you either have to be an athlete or you have to be able to shoot the crap out of the ball. That's how you fit on this team. And if you don't do those things, we get that really terrible lineup data where it's like 96.5 offensive rating and a minus 15 net rating. Like there are some very hard and fast truths about this team, I believe, that the Stanley Johnson versus Trevor Ariza debate, I suppose, that we're having is it really speaks to that. 
Yeah, there's a, there's enough evidence to where it's difficult to argue with. It's the same as it was why I mentioned Rondo earlier. There was the evidence was very clear that the but Laker like, lineups were struggling, right? Mm-hmm. That whole year whenever Rondo was in. So we're there's no case to be made against that. I like I'm just trying to I'm trying to think about AD's return and I I started the post game by asking LeBron about that because that was it was just the most relevant thing that I could think of. Like what what else we're going to take from the Miami game that we didn't already know. And so what's going to change moving forward? Well, all right, if if AD comes back and he looked like, you know, in the 2 on 2, he looked like the AD that was playing earlier this season. It's not like he's in different shape or he 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 went back to get his body, you know, from 3 years ago, like or something. He's still he's still a little bigger and, you know, he's his jump shot looks about the same, like but I that is still a dominant player. And, you know, what what impact does that have on the lineup coming back when whether Ariza stays in it for a couple games or not? But it is enticing to think about what the lineup would look like with if you inject not just AD in that athleticism, but Stanley's also, you know, then like that is interesting to me. And I'm I'm just curious and I don't think it's out of the question that we see that uh, sooner than later. And, and that's, I'm sure, I'm sure every single day in the coaches meetings, they're talking about stuff like that. One of the things I would imagine they're also talking about Mike is like player skill sets and how they fit. Look, I'm just some random dude. There are narrow lenses and there are wide lenses. I think Stanley Johnson being a the better alternative and pretty much every lineup than Trevor Ariza, that's a wide lens view. And I would argue for that. Personally, I would. I also, though, see the argument that, well, if you start Stanley Johnson next to Dwight Howard and with Avery Bradley as your other guy, that offensive rating may not go up very much from where it is now. As opposed to Trevor Ariza, though? I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing for this. So you're not going to get a full throated idea. I, I hear you. Like I hear you. I'm talking about skill sets and where they are, right? Like the the idea of what a player is supposed to provide you, and the ro- and the and sort of the the space that they're giving Ariza in order to try to find the version of himself that mm-hmm. the Lakers are looking to get from him. Right? I think mm-hmm. everyone sees the gap. Right. I'm De- trying to understand like what it is right yeah, now. Like I'm 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 trying to understand lineup construction and I'm trying to understand the combinations of players. So here's my argument with that though. I think that swing forward position that you're talking about, being able to move and just kind of like Stanley Johnson, you watch Stanley Johnson in transition, 100- he's like shot out of a cannon. And so 100 percent So like what are we looking for that like in some ways Stanley reminds me of 2009 Trevor Ariza because again he wasn't the main guy in that trade and it was like check this Ariza guy out you know it was just it was the same thing as Stanley it was like oh no he's not going to be any big part of what we do like we've got this veteran team that you know that uh, we've got this veteran team that we've got our lineup kind of locked in but no he just with his play he earned it and Stanley reminds me so much of that. So where I'm at is when AD returns and again, we'll talk more about this tomorrow, but when AD returns, I'd be very interested in, I think there are three types of starting lineup. The current one where AD just swaps out for Dwight, same group, 
You basically run the same sorts of defensive schemes, but instead of Dwight Howard back there, you've got Anthony Davis. And so you're running drop coverages. You're funneling to AD. You put LeBron onto the weak side. So he's the step up guy in terms of short roll actions and the disruptor that's on the weak side. And you play it that way. If they switch it up and they run screen and rolls with LeBron's guy, hey, hey, thanks. Right. We'll play drop coverages with LeBron James, too. And then we'll put a D weak side disruptor and he can thrive at that role, too. The second sort of starting lineup is, hey, you know what? Maybe Ariza isn't that dude. And we're going to insert Stan Stanley Johnson. Now, is the spacing a little bit wonky? It is right. We've got Avery Bradley. Teams don't really pay attention to Avery Bradley. He took 10 or 11 of the highest quality threes you could probably take over the last couple of games. He shot them well enough, but he did not shoot them to the level that you would hope considering the quality of threes that he he was taking. And then you've got Stanley Johnson, who teams treat like Tony Allen to a certain extent. Now, he hurts them more than Tony Allen as an outside shooter, but that's how they treat him. And that idea of having two sort of non-spacers in the game next to Russ, AD, and LeBron, that issue returns. But you've got that shot out of a cannon energy. You've got a front court of LeBron, AD, and Stanley Johnson. And that's a lot of athleticism and move and verb to it. The third version is, yeah, Avery Bradley, you're not going to start at all. Sorry, we love you, Mm -hmm. but you're moving to the bench. We're going to swap you out with Malik Monk. Right. Or Austin Reeves, Mm -hmm. someone who's got a little bit more Kendrick Nunn. I think like ideally, you know, right somewhere down the line, maybe a nun. Nun's not ready. But yes, that's the idea. And then you've got Stanley and now you've got way more of this connective stuff. Mike, please. Quick interjection on Nunn because Spolstra was asked about him. And I thought I just thought it was relevant because I think Spolstra is smart and good. And so he when somebody asked him about Nunn. His, he did the he did the kind of an audible like ah, man such a bummer right and, and so just about the fact that he hasn't played yet and then it followed up and asked him hey what do you think that essentially Laker fans could see that or that don't know what he's like et cetera et cetera et cetera and he mentioned some of the things that we probably have seen from watching none play last year or or just sort of doing some research on his data and he talked about the three level scoring. And that was the first one of the first things that he said, like, shoot, he's got mid range stuff. He can get all the way to the rim and finish. Uh, he didn't say anything about his defense. And and again, that's where I think that Pete's watched some clips on him and and likes some of the defense. Pete, not to speak Miami for you. plays Miami plays a different uh, style of defense than what we would be playing. Ideally, we'd be more of a scram like his. He's a speed guard in yeah. a way that they're a bigger. They're a really physical team and a physical style of defense. And yeah. so I could see why he didn't fit as I think he fits what we'd be doing defensively better than. And again, I don't think he's this great defender. I just think yeah. he's fine in a way where we have a few guys that are not fine at all to where I think it'd be an upgrade. And so regardless, like, and so the the little point I was making is that I don't, I don't think he, you know, he thinks he's this ma- massive difference maker, but he's also not going to kill you. Right. He's not necessarily going to be targeted and somebody that, so he like, he's fine. Uh, and, or, or t- set that aside. The point was Spolstra <laughs> was, he was saying nice things about him, but not in the way that you would like, just to sort of, just to sort of, Oh, he's gone, whatever. I'll say nice to be nice. Like, I think he, you know, he, he thinks none's a pretty good player and he, he said nice things about him. And so it's, it's just, uh, and I, Nunn's tweet, I thought was was kind of like I felt bad for him the other day. Right, he's like, "Hey, like fans, I want to get back on the floor, have some patience, you know, with this." So, yeah, uh, it's it's just been rough for the guy. None, especially, but the whole idea of that lineup that I was talking about. There's this whole other shift 
that I'd like for the team to explore. Now, maybe that's not a starting lineup shift in the end. And maybe it's like a closing lineup group. But to put a bow on this entire conversation, the Lakers might be one of the few teams in the league where the starting lineup that they're currently starting is never going to be a consideration for the lineup that they close with. Mm -hmm. Never. It's a placeholder lineup. And we talked a lot about Trevor Ariza today because Trevor's the guy that in, in a world he projects forward as a starter with this same group, even when Anthony Davis gets back. And the level of play that he's been playing at, guys, has not been there to justify that yet. Now, maybe he proves everyone wrong. But when Rondo came back and showed that he was a championship-level player, he got three months off in the middle of an NBA season. And whatever legs that he had that were cooked, he got to rest them some. And Rondo... He also did have moments like, you know, it was yes. it was like maybe once every five games or something. He would show it to you. Well, Rondo, right? yeah. and, and Rondo also wasn't an 18 year veteran player at that time. Right. So, like, let's be honest about where Rondo was in, in his career as well. He was in year like 12 or 13. Right. Which is still an aged veteran. But it's not a guy who has been in the league for as long as Trevor has. And a player whose athleticism of being a big wing is what made him the player that he was. Rondo was always about craft and smarts as well. And we didn't even really get into Avery Bradley, right? So I, I think that the this is what the long-term plan is finally coming into view over this weekend is gives us a lot to talk about. But nothing is more important than the return of Anthony Davis. And that's what we're going to cover tomorrow here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.